In relation to our lesson this morning, the reading will be taken from the book of Acts. We'll be reading from chapter 17, verses 24 through 31. Acts 17, 24 through 31. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. How about that storm last week? <laughs> I guess by now I've lived in Manitoba long enough that I should know that April snowstorms are pretty common, but I don't know, it's still just, just as depressing every time for me, honestly. Um, I was sulking and going through some old pictures uh, the other day, and I came across this one here. It was from two years ago. Two years ago on April 3rd, 2021, this is what I was doing, outside working in the beautiful uh, nature, not a lick of snow anywhere. It was great. Um, and I was, I was kind of looking at that and thinking, you know what, I think in some ways I feel ripped off a little bit. I mean, we've probably lost like an entire month now of, of projects, like project time outside, right? Uh, so much opportunity gone. And I don't know why, but that just really bothers me. Uh, maybe it's because I don't like wasting time. You know, I feel like I, my summer is being cut short. I feel ripped off. I think that's kind of a, a human thing, though, right? We don't we don't really like wasting anything. We don't like wasting time, anyway. Uh, and I think God made us that way. We we have this this sense inside of us. We want to feel like we're doing useful things. We're getting things done that matter. We're contributing to something that that makes a difference. And the scripture we looked at this morning uh, that Wayne just read for us touches on this idea as well. The Apostle Paul, before this is taken from just before the reading this morning, the Apostle Paul, he was wandering through Athens, Greece, sometime around 50 A.D. And it says in verse 16 there that he was greatly distressed by what he saw. The problem was that the, the city of Athens, it was absolutely full of idols. They were everywhere and it stressed Paul out because it represented a massive waste to him. The people of Athens were worshipping these idols that meant nothing. It was a total waste of their times because 
the gods that these idols represented just didn't exist. It bothered him so much that he started preaching to anyone who would listen about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. He wanted the Athenians to know that they had missed something that was so important about the purpose of their lives. And it's the same message that you and I need to hear today. The series we're in right now is called What We Believe About Human Beings. Last week, Jay brought us an awesome lesson about the reason that God created us. You know, God made us to bear His image by ruling the world like He does, through mercy and grace, patience and love and justice. We live to represent Him in this world. This is critical for us to understand because it's a huge part of why God made us. And so I want to build on on what Jay started last week today. You know, I think deep down, as I mentioned, we all have this desire to make our lives count for something. We want to do something worthwhile with our time and energy. And we hate the we hate this idea of wasting the precious gift of life that we have. That's why this message in Acts 17 is so critical for us today. The Apostle Paul uh, was laying out for the Athenians how they could live their lives in a way that truly counts. A way that lasts forever. That's an attractive proposition. I want that, don't you? I mean, I want the things I'm doing to matter. And not just for the next minute or the next day or the next week. I want them to matter forever. And the warning, the warning from the Bible today is that there are so many idols in this world. We also call idols distractions, I think. There are so many distractions in the world that can easily deceive us into thinking that we are doing something worthwhile when really it's just a total waste of time. The good news is that God has a better plan for us. He has a life that counts in store for us. A life that he wants to give us that has eternal significance, eternal value. And this life of significance is found in a relationship with him. In a relationship with him. But what kind of relationship is it? What does it look like? You know, that's what I want to talk about with you today. And according to our text this morning... This relationship begins when we understand something about God's nature, about who He is. And then when we understand who He is and what He's worth, we are led to respond to that in a powerful way, really. And we're going to see that. Uh, Paul really lays that out for us here in Acts. This morning, I want to go through these two points, God's nature and our response, and see how we can live a life that counts today. But first, just a little bit of backstory on this. Uh, Paul originally gave this message to a bunch of Greek philosophers, some smart people, in a public speaking area called the Areopagus. It's also called Mars Hill. There's a picture on the screen there of what it looks like today in, in Athens. He opened his message by saying that he was blown away by how many altars he noticed when he was walking through the city. He even noticed how they tried to cover all their bases, right? They even had this altar that was labeled to an unknown God, just in case they missed one, right? They had to get their bases covered. He used this as a brilliant way to relate to them and introduce this God who they didn't yet know. And what he says next, Paul really describes the nature, the very essence of our God. He says that he is the true source of everything, 
everything. He says he's the true authority over everything and that he is the true pursuit of our lives, the only pursuit that matters. And I want to briefly just go through these things so we, we can really grasp today as well the nature of our God. He's the true source. One of the things that Paul points out is that God is the one who made the world and everything in it. He says that this God who made everything, he doesn't depend on anything. He, he doesn't dwell in the temple down the street. <laughs> he made everything. He's not dependent on a temple or an altar. He actually doesn't depend on human beings at all. The truth is that he provides everything that we need and that he gives us life and breath. He gives us everything. The Athenians, they saw their gods, all of their gods, as sort of part of the human story. The worldview that they had was sort of human-centered. In other words, the emphasis was on what the human beings were doing, and then the gods were sort of there playing a role in the human story. But Paul challenges them to see everything in sort of the complete opposite way. And this is where it really becomes practical for you and me today. Let me ask you this question. You know, and really think about it because it's an important question. In your life, do you see God as a part of your story? Or do you see your life as a part of God's story? Think about that. Let me just encourage you to really um, examine your life, I guess. And I, I don't, when I say think about it, I don't mean just like pick the answer that you think is most biblical. I mean, I mean, examine your life. If somebody was to look it over based on the evidence, who would they say was at the center of that? It might sound crazy to say this in our individual uh, focused culture that we live in, but it's true. You know what? If our worldview is us centered or me centered, we're going to miss out on what God wants to do with our lives. I mean, here's the bottom line. I mean, your story won't change him a bit, but his story can change you forever. Man, that's just so true. God's story will be epic, whether you want to be a part of it or not, but your story will never be all it could be unless you make your life a part of his story. He really is the true source of our lives, and recognizing that is an important part of living a life that counts. It's so important. The next thing that Paul says, um, that Paul points out is that God is the true authority over all things. He says in verse 26 that God is responsible for the creation of every single person on earth. And not only that, but he knows exactly what's going on with our lives. He determines how long kingdoms will reign for. He draws the boundaries around where people will dwell. Nothing escapes his notice. The Greeks, they believe that uh, their gods were sort of detached a bit from the human life. You know, they, they were around, they were involved, but they didn't really get too personally connected in human lives. But our God is different. He knows exactly what's happening in your life, and He is in control. Do you believe that? And I don't mean, you know, have you heard that before? I mean... Does it register? Does it show up in the way that you live? When hard times come into your life, do you find peace in knowing that 
God is there, that He knows exactly what you're going through and that He has control. And, and I realize, you know, if, if we're being honest, you know, all of us probably have to say that's not the case. Not all the time. And I'm not saying that, you know, to shame anyone. I'm only just bringing it up because this has got to be like one of the most critical antidotes to our stressed out world. We, if we really believe that He loves us and cares for us, if we really believe that He's in control, then there is some peace in that. There's some peace that comes from knowing that He is there, that He's in control. But here's the problem that I've discovered. And, and maybe you've come to this realization as well. You know, the peace that comes from trusting that God is in control requires me to let go of control. You know, the peace that comes from trusting that God is in control requires you and me to let go of this fictitious control that we want to have. And I think that's where the hang-up is for a lot of us, right? I mean, where are you at with that? Is your desire for control robbing you from that peace that comes from letting go and trusting that God will look after you? If we're talking about modern-day idols, guys, this is it. (laughs) This is one of them. The Athenians, they were missing out on true peace. They were missing out on who God truly was, I guess, really. They were missing out on His nature because they were worshipping fake gods, right? But in our context, in the same way, those fake gods certainly must be, one of them must be this desire for us to feel like we're the authority over our lives when really we're just not. It's time for us to reject that idol and see God for who He truly is. He is the true authority. The next thing that Paul points out here uh, in verse 27 is that God is the true pursuit. The true pursuit. He points out something amazing here in verse 27. He he says that God wants us to seek Him and perhaps reach out and find Him because He's not far from any of us. How incredible is that? Paul just finished pointing out how God, you know, this God, He doesn't need human beings for anything. But even though He doesn't need us, He wants us. That's incredible. He wants you to be a part of what He's doing. And this goes back to what we've been talking about already with how God created uh, us to help spread His love and His justice through the world, to carry on His creative work. That's His purpose for us. But it's easy for us to miss that purpose and waste our lives chasing other things instead. You know, to start believing these other voices that we hear that tells us that our purpose is something else. And it's so refreshing to read this verse and understand that God really, like really does want a relationship with you and me. And these things that Paul has said about God being the true source, you know, the true authority, they should really convince us of something. They should convince us that He's worth it. He's worth having a relationship with. I mean, we just saw it, right? He's the source of everything. He has control over everything. There really is nothing else that we can pursue that is more valuable than a relationship with Him. He wants to give us a life that counts. Not just for today, but forever. 
Where else can you find a pursuit like that in your life? You just can't. There's nothing else that measures up. Nothing comes close. He is the true pursuit. There's nothing worth comparing uh, when it comes to pursuing things with our life than Him. He is it. So what is our response then to all of this? If we understand all these things about who God is, you know, what does that mean for you and me today? Well, I'd like to suggest uh, three things here. Three things based on what Paul says in the rest of his speech to the Athenians. The first one is that we need to value him. When we talk about valuing God, verse 29 really uh, is really a key, I think. It says that we are his offspring. Or his offspring, which means that we get our life from him, right? Pretty straightforward. And of course, that's true in a physical sense, but I want to talk about something else. You know, God, God gave us life in a physical sense, of course, but I think more importantly and more related to what we're talking about today is this question of whether or not we're getting our life from him in a spiritual sense. What I mean is this, you know, What occupies your mind on a day-to-day basis? What gets you excited? What gets you out of the bed in the morning? (laughs) What motivates you? Think about these things. It's worth considering deeply because your answer to that helps reveal where your true source of life comes from. Does life revolve around your next vacation? Does it revolve around your next paycheck? Are you living for the next promotion or your next night out? I mean, maybe these things aren't inherently evil, but if they become the center of our lives, man, we're going to miss out on so much. A while back, I had a dream. I don't usually remember my dreams, but this one I did. You know, sometimes when you're having a dream and at night and it's just absolutely crazy like it's a ridiculous dream but it seems so normal until you wake up and reflect on it you know in this dream i was wandering around a zoo it was checking out all the cages it was pretty normal but the weird thing was that it was a human zoo you know and inside all the cages there's these people doing things and it was really bizarre I was looking at all the people doing their stuff and, and, you know, I know probably someone's sitting there diagnosing me with a mental health condition right now. <laughs> but, uh, it is weird. But that's not the whole, that's not the point of the story. The whole thing, though, it was completely ridiculous, right? I mean, there's no such thing as a human zoo. And if there was, I should have been pretty freaked out in my dream. But in the dream, it was just normal. It was an everyday thing. I should have been alarmed, but I wasn't. But then I, you know, I woke up and, and, it made sense how ridiculous it was. And as, as Alicia and I were talking about it, we couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> Have you had a dream like that? I think, um, you know what, I think idols are kind of like that, like that dream. I think it's going to be a very similar, a similar situation for us when we step into eternity. We're going to look back on this life and we're going to be amazed at how ridiculous things took control of our attention. We're going to be amazed at how many ridiculous things we considered to be totally normal. We're going to say, you know, it made so much sense while I was in the dream. But now I can see how ridiculous it all was. 
You know, we're living in the dream right now, you could say, and it makes total sense, maybe, to devote our lives to our paychecks or our bank account or climbing a corporate ladder or having all the toys or all the influence or all the followers. But one day we're going to wake up and see it all for what it really is. It's going to be some, it's going to become so clear that God was there all along and that He was all that really mattered. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to wake up one day from this dream and realize that I ignored the only thing that truly mattered. I want to value Him now instead of the other things in this life that don't really have any value. When we realize His value, then it only makes sense for us to turn away from anything else that's worthless and turn to Him. That's what it really means to repent, right? Turn around. To turn from one thing and turn towards another. And I think that's why Paul stresses this idea in the next two verses, 30 and 31. Repentance. I know for some of us, maybe it feels like if we turn to God and live for Him, it's going to feel like we're taking an, an inferior path. You know, a lesser way of life. He's done so much for us, maybe we sort of feel obligated to turn to Him. But really, you know, if we're being honest, we'd rather do something better. I used to think like that for a long time. And so I'm sure that I'm talking to some people to, today who are, are there right now. You're thinking God's path is inferior. And if you choose it, you're going to be settling for less. And I, I hope you'll reconsider that today. Really, I do. Repenting of your ways and living for Him, it, it's quite literally the best thing you can do with your life. And I'm passionate about this because it took me a long time to realize that. A long time to realize what I'm hoping will come much quickly for others than it did for me. That God's path for your life is not inferior in any way. And it's important to stay on His path, especially maybe when it's hard or you don't feel like it, because that's exactly when it's going to make the most difference. He created us. He partnered, uh, He wants us to partner with Him in the work that He's doing. That's a path that He has for us. And if we choose a different path, we're going to miss out on what He wants to do in our lives. I love how First uh, Peter has this laid out. In the New Century Version, uh, I liked how the wording was. So First Peter 1, second half of verse 17 starts by saying, So while you were here on earth, while you are here on earth, you should live with respect for God. You know that in the past you were living a worthless way, a way passed down to you from people who lived before you, but you were saved from that useless life with the precious blood of Christ, who is like a pure and perfect lamb. God has saved us from pursuing a life that isn't worth anything. His path for us will save us from wasting our lives on things that don't matter. And if we know the truth about this, it only makes sense for us to stop wasting our time, to take a different path. We were saved from that useless life, Peter says. And it's worthless to turn back to it. We know the better way now. We know the lasting way now. We know what our lives are for. 
The famous uh, 19th century missionary, uh, C.T. Studd, wrote a beautiful uh, poem here. I just wanted to read it. This is just a piece of it, but I think he had it. He said it so beautifully here. He said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen to that. The last part of our response is to be resurrected. You know, when Paul is speaking to the Athenians, he ended the last, uh, he ended this part of his message by pointing out how God proved his value and his worth and his power by raising Jesus from the dead. This is such an important part of the message, and I hope it will sink in for you and for me today. God has raised Jesus from physical death to prove his power over death. But something I think we miss is the more important reality of the resurrection. The resurrection proves that God has the power to raise you from the dead. And not just your physical body, but more importantly, your spiritual life. And in many ways, that's the whole message here about what Paul is talking about. The Athenians, they were living a dead-end way of life. All of their idols and all of their worship was meaningless because it wasn't going to have any eternal value. He wanted them to know who Jesus was and that he had the power to resurrect them from their dead way of life. And I want everyone who's listening to this this morning to hear this. He has the power to resurrect your life as well. He wants to partner Uh, He wants you, rather, to partner with him in his story because his story will give new life to your story. It's beautiful. God has an amazing track record of resurrecting people's lives. It's kind of what he does. The Bible is completely full of examples of this. You know, think about Moses, for example. It's a self-portrait here. I don't know. Moses. Um, It's hard to find a good picture of Moses. You know, Moses, uh, he started out his life as a murderer. He was a murderer. We sometimes forget that. He was a fugitive. But when Moses decided to make his story a part of God's story, everything changed. He became a leader of God's people and contributed to what God was doing in the world. Or how about the Apostle John? If we read through the Gospels, you can see that he was known as the son of thunder, one of them anyway, the son of thunder because of his temper, his anger. Jesus even rebuked him once for a hateful attitude that he had towards the Samaritan people. This was John. But when John decided to make his story a part of God's story, everything changed for him. Everything changed in his life. He's now known not as someone with an anger problem, but as the disciple or the apostle of love because of the powerful writings of love that he has in the New Testament. What a change. You know, God changed his life. John gave his life to God and God gave him a resurrection. He resurrected his story. Or how about Rahab? 
She began, we meet her first as a prostitute, believing that her greatest asset was her body. But when she decided to make her story a part of God's story, her life changed. She became an ancestor of Jesus Christ himself and an example of faith that's written in the book of Hebrews that many people still look up to today. It's a a totally amazing change. The Bible is full of examples of people who allowed their lives to be changed, to be resurrected by God. But I want to draw this message even closer to home for us. You know, sometimes I think we read about these people in the Bible who had their lives changed by God, and we sort of forget that they're just regular people. They're just regular people. And we come away from it when we're thinking that they're heroes or something. We come away from it thinking... You know, that this sort of change, this sort of resurrection could never happen to us in our lives. But that's not the case. And I want to point out some examples here this morning. Many of us know Amir and Kristen. You know, these two amazing people began their lives not knowing God. And it led them to look for meaning and and life, I guess, in other places, far away from Him. What they knew about love, it was distorted by sin and selfishness. But when they decided to join their story with God's story, their lives began to change. They began to be resurrected, you could say. Now they know the love of God. And God is using them. This is the whole point. God is using their lives as a part of the work that He is doing now. He's giving life to them through that. And they're known for that in this congregation and and really in this city. They have been resurrected to a new way of life. And, and honestly, if you want to know more about their story, I, I totally encourage you to go chat with them. Or how about Roger Lorenzo? And by the way, I asked all these people if I could share their story. I'm not just, everybody's nervous that they're going to be up there next. Um, Roger, you know, he, he, said, he said he's always believed in God. Uh, but he grew up with a faith in God that was sort of based on fear. A fear-based faith. And as a result, he really struggled to grasp this idea about God having a good plan for his life. But when he started to trust what the Bible said about God and his love for him, you know, he, he, he trusted the promises of God before his feelings. Things started to change. He began to see that God really did love him and that God really wanted what was best for his life. And this change in perspective empowered Roger to give more and more of himself to God. If you haven't talked to Roger about his story, I would totally encourage you to do that because he has a lot to share that can really help a lot of us who might be struggling uh, with this area of God's love. God has given Roger a new life. He is, he's given him a resurrection, you could say. Now, God, again, here it is, right? God is now using Roger's life. He's now a servant in this congregation, a servant in this city for God. He's, God is using him to build other people up and draw people to himself. I also want to mention Vince and Stacy Anderson. They, they grew up far away from God as well. I don't know if you knew that. They were searching for meaning in other areas of life, like the occult even. But it only left them feeling empty. It left life feeling sort of pointless. Vince said that they were far from God. 
But when he and Stacy heard the good news about Jesus, they decided to make their story a part of God's story. And God blessed that decision big time in their lives and the lives of many people around them. You know, God has given them new life. He has resurrected them. And Vince and Stacy are people that many of us look up to in this congregation. God is using their lives to bless many. And the reason, you know, and I want to make this clear too. You know, these people are just regular people. Yes, we look up to them, but the reason that we look up to them isn't because, you know, they're perfect or they've got it all figured out. They're going to admit to you that they don't. It's because of what God is doing in their lives. We look up to them simply because they're trying to make their story a part of God's story. Roger said it best to me when I was talking to him. He said, I'm just a regular guy who still struggles with sin, but now I'm on a better path because of what God is doing. That's just amazing. And that's really the whole point. It's really not about you. It's really not about me or any of these people. It's, it's about what God can do with your life. There's so many more examples from our congregation, and I, and I know we could probably list, we could stay here all day listing people. But the point is that God has the power to resurrect us from dead ways of life. And I just wanted to highlight a few people that are in our midst that are proof of that. People who are trying to make their story a part of God's story. And God is using their faithfulness to give them a new life. A life that counts. And I really want you to see that he can do this with anyone, including you, including me. So the question that we have to end off with this morning is this. Are you living a life that counts? God wants your life to count, but it's not going to come from the things of this world or through self-promotion. That might sound like a strange idea in our self-centered culture, but it's true. True life and true value are found when we unite our story with God's story. Living our story won't last long, but living His story will last forever. And if you're ready to come to God today, He is ready to take you in. If you're wandering from Him or if you have wandered from His path, He is ready to take you back today. If you found yourself at a dead end, a dead way of life that can never really satisfy you, the power of Jesus' resurrection is a power that can bring your life back from the dead today. He can give you a new life, a life that is in Him, a life that counts. If you're ready to take that step today, we are here to help you with that. Please come and talk to me, uh, one of the elders or Jay. We'd love to help you. Thank you for your time this morning.